day. But I'm, a, I'm excited to dive in today to part four of Play the Long Game. We're going to wrap it up next Sunday. Uh, and uh, today, I actually had a different, really, direction I was going, but I really felt in my prayer early in this week that the Lord was kind of shifting the focus and the passage, and uh, He'll occasionally do that the week of. I usually have it planned out, prayed through well in advance, but I really felt like there was a shift. And I want to talk today, in fact, I'm entitled the message, uh, Finish Strong. Uh, because what I've, I've, I've learned, in fact, I was even thinking back when I was in high school, uh, I played basketball, and uh, my high school basketball coach, he was like incessant on conditioning. Um, his whole thing was, is that the game is won or lost in the fourth quarter. Uh, so he would make us run like sprints nonstop. Uh, if you can't tell, I don't run sprints anymore. Come on, somebody, uh, because I'm an adult. Um, <laughs> He only runs sprints if someone tells you to run them. Um, and, uh, but we, he, his whole thing was that in the fourth quarter, once you be well conditioned so that uh, you, we, we played a full court press defense and we kind of ran the ball a lot. And uh, sure enough, that, that season, we weren't the most talented team, but we went to the state finals. Uh, and mainly because we just were, were overly conditioned. But I, he had this whole principle, and, and it's a life principle. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It is easy to start strong, right? It's easy to come out the gate. How many of you know in the beginning of the year, you're coming out the gate fired up for everything, right? You're like, I mean, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to like read 32 books. But then it's like come October, right? And you're like, okay, I'm 25 pounds behind my goal. Come on, somebody. Some of you got that one. But, but it's all about finishing strong. And this series is called Play the Long Game. And uh, this time of year, you know, in January, we set goals and resolutions that tend to be near term. Meaning this, we look at the one year, three year, five year. I remember hearing a pastor one time say that we often, we often uh, kind of overthink or overplan what we can do in one to five years. And we actually underplan what we can do in 20 years or a lifetime. And this series is all about what are some practices we can put into place that will lead to long-term fruitfulness, long-term effectiveness in our life. We're not just looking this next year, although I want you to have a great 2022, um, but really more longer term in our life. And I believe today is going to help us to not just start strong, but, but finish strong, uh, to live a life that we accomplish all that God has called us to, that we uh, can f fulfill the dreams God's put in our heart, the purposes that he had for us the moment even before we were born. And I, I believe it's going to encourage you today as we look to God's word. But let's pray first. Father, we thank you that your word's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would speak to us today as we open your word. And we thank you for it, God. We posture our heart and mind to receive from you today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Numbers chapter 13. If you are to give context of where we are in the narrative of Scripture and the narrative of our faith history, um, the Israelites were in bondage and captivity for 400 years to the Egyptians. And uh, right before they went into captivity, uh, God had given them a promise that they would inherit this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan, uh, and more. And then they had 400 years of captivity. And then God sent Moses to deliver them out of captivity. 
So they are fresh out of captivity. Generationally, they, they, were, they were enslaved in Egypt, and now Moses had led them out. If you're familiar with this story, whether in your own Bible reading or maybe back years ago in Sunday school, this is like soon after the Red Sea parted, and they were now on the other side of it. Now they're in the wilderness. Now they're moving towards the promised land. And uh, what happened was that God told Moses to send 12 spies, representing the 12 tribes of, of Israel, uh, the 12 tribes to go into the to promised land to spy out the land, thinking when they go into Canaan, they're going to see the milk and honey. They're going to see what God had promised, and they would be encouraged. But what we're going to see is that actually a group of them, in fact, the majority of them, uh, weren't encouraged, but became discouraged and fearful. But there was a remnant. There was two men, Caleb and Joshua, uh, who out of all of the, the, the men who saw the promised land, they were the only two that inherited the promised land. And they were ones that kept the faith. They were the ones that kept believing God even in spite of difficulties. And uh, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 13 today. This is right after, to give context, they had spied out the land. And here's what it says in verse 26. Um, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Uh, if you're familiar with this passage, uh, the, the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Most of that 40 years were in the, land, the desert of Paran. This is where they spent most of their time. There they reported to them the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. Their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up to him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report of the land they explored. The land we explored devours those living in it. All of the people were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in their eyes, and we looked the same to them. So here they are, have this promise of a promised land that God had promised to them. Uh, and here they are, struck with fear. Here they are. And they really face three temptations that I think we all will face as we pursue the purpose that God has for us. Now let me give one kind of message. If you're new, new to maybe to faith, new to church, um, I want you to hear this. God has a unique purpose for your life. Uh, you're not here by accident. God had a purpose for you before he created you. That God will put dreams in your heart, desires in your heart. And God will give you a promise, like the Israelites had a promise. Now, there's promises we all can take hold of. There are over 7,000 promises in the scriptures alone. But sometimes God will speak to you something specifically for your life. And I want to talk today about how we can finish strong and fulfill what God's called us to, to see the dreams God's put in our heart come to pass in our life. And there are three temptations we have to overcome that Caleb and Joshua did but the majority of the Israelites did not. In fact, two million Israelites did not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We even see the teachings of Jesus. He often spoke of the power of faith. We live in a culture that believes in the power of work. Come on, somebody. But can I tell you, work honors God, but you know what honors God even more? It's faith. It's we believe not just in God, but we believe in what he 
said. And their, their faith is what honored God. Their faith is what brought the promised land to them. Here's the first temptation you have to overcome to finish strong. Is you have to overcome the temptation to settle. So they, they go into to, to Canaan. They, they see the land of milk and honey. Just to give context, the word milk um, wasn't referring to like 2% milk. Uh, it, it literally in the Hebrew, it's the word fat. It refers to livestock. Uh, and then the word honey doesn't just refer to what comes from bees. It actually, that word in the Hebrew refers to honey, but also to fruit, uh, as we'll see. In fact, right before this moment in verse 23... It says, when they reached the valley of Eskel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. And in this moment, they begin to settle. And here's what I think a temptation for all of us, if we're not careful, when we are pursuing the purpose of God in our life, when we're even pursuing after God in our life, is we all will face temptations to settle for less than God's best. Especially when, mind you, 400 years They had received the promise. Come on, they're like great-great-grandpa received the promise. And for 400 years, they had saw no forward motion. Come on. That's like a Washington football team fan. You heard about years ago you won a Super Bowl. Or even more fitting, a Cowboys fan. Come on, somebody. All right, I'll move on. God loves Cowboy fans. We just don't like them, okay? I'm just kidding. Um, We love you. You're welcome here. Um, But... They were waiting all of these years, and they were, they were, they were near, understandably frustrated, disappointed, discouraged in this moment, and, and they begin to then tempted to settle for less than what God has for them. They came back, the Bible says, with, uh, with grapes, with a cluster of grapes. Now, mind you, when they came back with these cluster of, of grapes, uh, they came back carrying these cluster of grapes. Now, this cluster of grapes came from a place that was the source of these grapes. But they were tempted to settle for a sample when God had promised them the source. And listen, if you're not careful in your life, you will be tempted, especially in the waiting, to be tempted to settle for less than God's best. Here's what it can look like in our life. That maybe you're single. And you've been believing God for Mr. or Mrs. Right. But God's taken longer than you've wanted him to. Come on, somebody. Anybody ever notice God can sometimes be behind your timing? Come on. And you've been waiting. And you're like, God, where is he? Where is she? And if you're not tempted, if you're not careful, you can be tempted to settle for less than God's best. Now, if the person next to you is who you settle for, just look straight ahead. Come on, somebody. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Partially, okay? Or you settle and think, you know what, God, maybe I'm just called to be single. Even though you know in your heart you want to be married. Or maybe you've gone through another in vitro treatment. And it didn't take again. And you begin to settle and say, God, even though I felt like you gave me a picture of me holding my baby, I'm just going to settle without it. Or the, the, the funding process for your business or the editorial process for your book It's taking longer than expected, and you think to yourself, man, maybe I'm just not called to write this book. Maybe I'm just not called to to launch this business, and we can begin to settle for less than God's best. You know, maybe think about when you go to a restaurant, you ever been there before where you you ask for something, uh, you you order something, and then maybe it's a busy night or they're understaffed, 
and the food takes longer than expected. By the time the food arrives, you've had five bread rolls. Come on. You've already taken the seven-minute nap. Come on. And, and it finally arrives, and you ordered a medium-rare steak, but it comes medium-well. But you're like, huh, I don't want to wait anymore. I'm just going to settle for this belt. Come on, you know. But that's what can happen in our life if we're not careful. We can begin to settle for less than what God has for us. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Listen, I want you to receive this. Be careful that deferred hope does not cause you to make a bad decision. Be careful that, that, that the deferred hope, it's been so long, God, that you begin to settle for less than what God has for you. But then in verse 27, I want you to catch this. It they, they told Moses, we went into the land that you sent us. Now, why is that important? Because Moses didn't send them there. God, over 400 years prior, sent them there. And here's what can happen as you're waiting for that, that dream to come fulfilled. You're waiting to see that promise come fulfilled. You, begin to get, you can begin to question whether God is still in it. You ever had that moment where you're saying, God, are you still in this marriage? God, God, are you even still in this business? Or was that idea because of the cold pizza I had last night? God, are, are you even, were you even in that desire for me to be married? Or was that just my own selfish ambition? And we can begin to question if God is still in it. Can I encourage someone today? If God was in it at the beginning, he would still be in it to the end. He's still in it. And they begin to wonder, they begin to question, God, are, are you really there? Are you really, and I love what David wrote in Psalm 138, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. That's a word for some of you. The Lord will fulfill your, his, God's purpose for you. But it can be hard. It can be natural when you are waiting. You know, Habakkuk 3, 2 says to write the vision that God gives you, the revelation that God gives you, and make it plain so that those who read it may run with it. Can I tell you very practically a way that you can encourage yourself and stay encouraged to not settle is whatever dream God's put in your heart, whatever vision he's given you, whatever promise he's spoken to you, write it down and revisit it and revisit it and revisit it. I remember when we uh, were coming up on our three-year birthday, third birthday, and I remember we, we were uh, kind of started the journey of planting the church. One of the biggest uh, tasks of a church planter is to find a location. And you're probably not surprised, um, but a lot of venues aren't used to churches asking them to rent space. So when you go to like a school or an entertainment venue, you're like, hey, can I use your space like every Sunday morning? And they're like, what? You know, they're used to these one time off. So anyways, I, I started off, you know, this is one of the first things I did uh, was trying to find a venue before we ever sort of did anything else. And I'll never forget, I was sort of having my, had my heart set on a school, Walter Johnson High School, if you know what that is, North Bethesda. In my heart, I was like, man, that's, that's where I want to be. Like, in many ways, I felt like it was perfect for us. About two conversations in with the school system, I got a straight no. Not a maybe, not there's a chance, like a never, Right? Like a complete shutdown. And then I asked for several other schools, never. Then I asked several entertainment venues in this area, and they were like, nah. <laughs> and can I be honest with you? 
Because, see, when we started the journey to plant this church, Christine and I, we felt like God spoke to, to us. We were to plant a church for the Washington, D.C. area, starting in Bethesda. And for a moment, I had a moment where I began to question, God, did you say Bethesda or did you mean Bahamas? Because, Lord, if it's Bahamas, here I am, Lord, send me! Because <laughs> Bahamas got to be easier than Bethesda right now. But can I tell you what I did, church? I went back to what God told us. I said, no, God said Bethesda. And can I tell you, we celebrate three years of God's faithfulness. Where? In Bethesda. Listen, if God said it, believe it. Believe it. But sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes you won't see it. Faith is not believing what you see. Faith is being willing to see what God sees. And can I tell you, I tell this story of God's faithfulness right here in Bethesda. It's not for Jeremy's glory because I didn't do anything. It was God's glory. And I believe some of you, God has spoken a word to you, but you have been tempted to give up. You have been tempted to settle. You have been tempted to say, maybe it wasn't God. Because it hasn't come in the timing or the method you were expecting. But can I encourage you know what I found personally? If it came exactly how you thought it would, when it would, it wouldn't require your faith. <laughs> but it's when you get in those moments and it hasn't come in the timing you expected, oh, that's when faith is tested. When it hasn't come in the method you were hoping for, that is when faith is tested. But can I tell you, on the other side of it, then God gives you a faith story. So you, like I just encourage you right now, you can encourage other people. Uh, there's a God in heaven who is still speaking. He still cares for you, and he still wants to do great things in and through your life. I love what the theologian D.L. Moody says, God has never made a promise. That was too good to be true. It's true. God is good. And then lastly, they were, they were overwhelmed. Or next, they were overwhelmed by the descendants of Anak. The descendants of Anak were known to be historically, um, even historical documents document this outside the Bible, they were giants. Um, the only kind of specifics, you know, they didn't have like measurement sticks back in the day. Um, they were just like, you big, you know. <laughs> so, but many presume they were conservatively over nine feet. Um, and they were larger, more powerful people. So that's why they said, man, the descendants of Anak are there, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And that's why. And here's the reality. I want to encourage you. It's not discourage some of you, but this is a reality. When you begin to pursue God's purpose, you will face giant problems. You will encounter some giants in pursuing the purposes of God. In fact, let me say this. Sometimes when you encounter problems, you can question if it was actually God's purpose. But can I encourage you with this? Perhaps, just perhaps, because you are facing problems is evidence that it's God's purpose. Because the Bible says this, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Note the scripture does not say no weapon will be ever formed against you. It says no weapon formed against you will prosper. And may I remind you, you have an enemy of your soul. And the moment you begin to walk in the purposes of God, he will bring the powers of hell against you. Why? Because he wants to prevent you from experiencing God's best for you. But can I encourage you? 
the problem you face is not bigger than the God we worship. I want you to catch this. The Israelites just saw God part the Red Sea. They just had God deliver them from bondage. But they're like, there's big people over there. I'd be like, don't you think the God who parted a sea can help you conquer a giant? But it made me think to myself that sometimes, maybe you have this experience. I remember some, a couple years ago, we took our kids as drive-through safari experience. Uh, I'm quote-unquote safari um, well, here in America. Because I went to a real safari years ago in Uganda. Nothing compares. But... We were in this drive-through safari, and I remember we saw this buffalo coming from like a while back, like, you know, probably 100 yards away. It didn't look that big. But then when the boy got up on our car, and he had to tilt his head to get his head through our windshield, you kind of feed the animals. I'm not sure if it's the wisest move, but uh, you feed the animals, it's like, you know, corn pellets. And, uh, but as he got close, we're like, man, this guy is huge. And as I was thinking, and I did some research, you know, when things are up close, it's like a mirror. You ever had a mirror, and it had a little note on there that objects appear larger than reality? And you're like, well, thank God, I thought I gained some weight. Come on, somebody. Maybe I lost. Um, is that sometimes when things are close by, they seem much larger than they actually are. And there are some of you, the problems you're facing you actually think they're much bigger than they actually are because you're focused on them. You have them held up to your face. Let me just ask you this question. Think back two years ago. What was your biggest problem two years ago? Now, two years later, was it really that big? Probably not as big as you thought it was in the moment, right? There have been things I've lost sleep over, but now I look back and I'm like, why did I lose sleep over that? God was faithful. And that's the reality, is that God is faithful. He is all-powerful. The same God that parted the Red Sea was the same God who's going to help them conquer the giants. If we're not careful, we can get overwhelmed by the giants before, before us. I love what the angel told Mary when, she, when, when they, she got news that she was to give birth to the Son of God. In Luke one thirty seven. it says, For nothing will be impossible with God. Can I encourage you in your spirit right now? Because some of you may be feeling overwhelmed by the problem before you. The funding hasn't come through for the business. You got a rejection letter from the medical school. You had another in vitro treatment not come through. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you're not seeing the progress you thought you would. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by the problems before you. Let me encourage you about who our God is. And he is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if he did it before, he can do it again. He is the same God who parted the Red Sea. He is the same God who took Joseph from the pit to the palace. He's the same God who calls the Jordan River to stand up. He's the same God that brought the walls of Jericho down. He's the same God who rescued Daniel from the mouths of the lions. He's the same God who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He was the same God who opened the blind eyes of Bartimaeus. He was the same God who healed the woman with the issue of blood. He's the same God who raised the dead to life. And he's the same God who brought Jesus back from the grave and salvation to humanity. Don't you think that that God who did it then can do it again in your life. Because the Bible says the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave lives on the inside of you. Amen. Do you believe it, church? 
I'm trying to stir your faith today. If I'm going to be honest, sometimes I'm just going to confess to you. I can be very naturally minded, and I can forget that I have a supernatural God, that he can do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all that you can ever ask, think, or imagine. And what I want for my life and what I want for your life is for your life to not make sense. A God who parts the Red Sea doesn't make sense. A God who brings walls down with no weapons doesn't make sense. A God who raised a man to life doesn't make sense. But that's the God we serve, church. Don't settle. Don't settle for less than God's best. Secondly, you have to overcome the temptation to go back. Verse chapter 14, verse 1, it says, The night... All of the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All of the Israelites grumbled and complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, if we had only died in Egypt, if we had only kept us as slaves or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Now you think, that's crazy. Like you're free, but you're saying, I'd rather die as a slave than to be free in the wilderness. Now you can think to yourself, that sounds crazy, but have you ever had a moment where you actually maybe look back at something in the past and thought to yourself, maybe, you know, life was easier when I was single. Life wasn't as complicated in my last job. Life was easier before kids. Okay, that last one is true. Life is easier before kids, but <laughs> they're a blessing. No, but, but we, we can look back. You know, I thought to myself that I have this propensity, and, maybe, and I've, I've seen other people as well. I was like, was this a real thing? It is. It's called fading affect bias, that you have a psychological tendency when you think back to your past to remember the good things more than the bad things. In fact, the Winston-Salem University in 2014, uh, in the Journal of Advances in Experiential Psychology, they actually found that we are more likely to remember positive events in our past than negative ones. And that positive events fade slower from your memory than negative events. Then in 2015, the Memory Journal wanted to study, is this an American phenomenon or is this international? Is this a human phenomenon? Because most study was done in America. So they studied this in... Germany, Ireland, Ghana, and New Zealand, and they found the exact same thing, that we have a propensity to remember the positive events, and they kind of conclude that perhaps some sort of survival mechanism in our brains, that we just recall back to things, and we think more of the positive. They even found this, that thinking of a negative event actually even triggers your memory of more positive events. (laughs) Like, we love to tell a good story, right? We don't want to think about the negative. We focus. Our brain is conditioned to focus on the positive. Dr. Richard Walker, who was the, led the 2014 study, he says this, this implies there is a tendency to deaden the emotional impact of negative events relative to the impact of positive events. Such deadening occurs directly because people are motivated to view their life and events in a relatively positive light. If we're not careful, we can begin to think back and think to ourselves, man, before I, I started this business, it was easy. It's better to be an employee. It was better to be single. It was better before I got into medical school. And we can begin to we, we idealize our past 
more than we do our present. I always tell couples when uh, they, they go through our premarital counseling process, I always tell them, hey, in your first 6 to 12 months, expect several times or 37 times to question whether you married the right person. Come on, somebody. Any married person ever had that thought, like your first few months, like, did I make a grave mistake? And it's natural because you, two people come together, right? And come on, when you're dating, you're putting your best foot forward. And then you get married, you're like, oh, that's what you're like past 10 p.m. when I didn't see you before. Oh, that's what you like in the morning. You're a little cranky. Okay, right? <laughs> Somebody looking straight at me like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not agreeing. No, no, honey, no, you're never like that. Okay. <laughs> I always say, hey, prepare yourself. The first few months of marriage, you might have a moment. And if you don't, you might not be in being honest. I'm just, because you're human. But I told them that because I was like, you'll have a tendency to idealize your singleness. And you'll forget how there's, you ever had this moment? Sometimes the very thing that you think is causing you stress and heartache was the very thing you prayed for years ago. Why? Because we idealize the past and we, we can overcomplicate the present. And that's what was happening for them so much. So they were like, man, take us back to slavery. God spoke in Isaiah 43, forget the former things. Don't dwell in the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. God's doing a new thing. So what do we have to do? We have to keep moving forward. In Joshua 1, this is the same Joshua here in Numbers 13 and 14. The Lord speaks to him and says, keep this book of law always on your lips. Many of you know this scripture. Meditate on it day and night so you can be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you will go. To meditate on the word. Something means to kind of chew on it, to marinate on it, to let it kind of over and over again stay in the front of your mind. And then I love this fact. He says, the Lord will be with you wherever you will go. And I think this gives some indication of, I think, for us as we finish strong, as we are tempted to go back. Because sometimes what can, what can happen is we can even be tempted to go back into sin. That's why Paul said this, you're now a new creation. Your old is gone, the new has come. And we can be tempted, the enemy will tempt us to pick up old patterns to, to spiritually speaking, to use the words of Paul, re-enslave us. In sin. And, and here, the Lord speaks to Joshua. In his case, understandably, he's following up a leader who was well-loved, Moses. They're about to have to cross the Jordan River. Big issues ahead. He says, be strong and courageous. Meditate on my word, and I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And I had this thought, the power of God being with us wherever we go. You know, I often notice with my children, even recently, that when they try something new or they're doing something they're naturally afraid of, maybe parents, you've experienced this, they'll often look back at me. Like, Dad, are you still there? Are you still with me? If something happens, are you going to, then if something does happen, they get hurt or whatever, they run to me. And here's the reality. God is with you. And, and you know, it says in Psalm 55 and in 1 Peter 5, both Old and New Testament, that we can cast our cares upon God. And when those moments where you feel disappointed, when you feel frustrated, when you feel overwhelmed, can I ask you this question? When is the last time you talked to God about what you're most worried about? 
When's the last time you actually told God, this is the biggest burden? If you're like me, sometimes you keep it to yourself, and you think you're worrying about it will actually solve it. Anybody else with me here? You think, man, man I just, but, but listen, you know what I found? I had this week, I was overwhelmed by a situation, and I had a moment of just casting my cares to God. You know what Psalm 55 says? And he will sustain you. Listen, do not try to walk according to God's purpose without God's power. Some of you feel overwhelmed because you're trying to walk according to God's purpose without accessing his power. Well, how do I access his power? One of the ways is you cast your cares upon him. You cast your anxieties upon him. Some of you, the best thing you can do today, this week, is just have a moment with the Lord. And can I tell you, my moment with the Lord this week, just full transparency, I, I, it, was, it involves some ugly crying. Come on, sometimes you got to ugly cry with the Lord. you got to just have a moment and say, God, I'm overwhelmed. The situation at work, kids, my health, finances. And you got to have a moment where you cast your cares over to God. The Bible says he will sustain you. Maybe I would encourage you today, if you haven't, think about what are you most worried about right now? What's kept you up at night? What's created stress in your life? Those tension headaches you have, what's the source of that? Can I, can I encourage you? Talk to him about it. He wants to listen. He wants to hear. He wants to take on your burdens. You've got to overcome a temptation to go back. The last one is this, final point. I think you have to overcome a temptation to give up. Verse 9, it says this. Joshua, speaking to them, says, Do not rebel against the Lord. Then they, do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. The protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua is trying to encourage them to keep moving forward. Again, Joshua, in his heart, he already said, I'm moving forward. And then catch this. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And that's not recreational stoning, okay? Some of you are like, that's not too bad, you know? Like they had stones in their hands ready to kill their leaders. On a side note, it is a human tendency for us to find a scapegoat to blame our issues on. Have you noticed that? Like in the United States of America, we love to blame whoever's in office about problems. Like no, no one's ever seen that before. Uh, we, right? we, we like to blame someone else, the way our parents raised us, the way our ex didn't support us. Maybe, just maybe, it wasn't their issue. It was your issue. And until you actually embrace it as your issue, you'll never move forward from that issue. If you ever wonder why the same issue keeps coming up, you ever have this thought? Like, regardless of what administration is in office and power, there's, like, some similar problems that happen every four years in America. Maybe it's not an administration issue. Maybe it's an American issue, right? It's not a political comment. It's a human behavior com comment, right? Or if you have the same problem over the course of relationships, like, wow, I have different girlfriends, and they all got the same issue. It's like, well, who's the common issue? <laughs> the common issue is it's you, <laughs> Right? And I, listen, I, I love you. And I, I say this with compassion. But I also sense that I love you is that you need to maybe own the issue. That it's not your parents. It's not your ex. It's you. And that was their issue. They were, they were blaming Moses and Aaron. You let us in here. 
You got us into this place. No, it's your disobedience, Israelites, that got you into this place. And let me just say this. Their disobedience, and just let me be clear, anytime we are disobedient to the word of God, it's a very prideful act. Just, just follow me. The God who spoke the world into existence, who's giving you a clear instruction on something, and we say, you know what, I think I know better, God, is a very prideful posture. I'm a created being. He's a creator. If as a created being, I think I know better than the creator, that means I'm putting myself in his position. And again, I don't say that to any condemnation because we all got degrees of areas of our life where we can be more obedient to the word of God and know that it's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do because God wants to bless you through your obedience, through your trust. That's why Joshua says, do not rebel. And rebellion is simply this. Rebellion is simply when we do not trust God and we trust our own ways other than God's. It can look like this. You've been trying to, to date and to live your life according to God's ways, but you get frustrated after a while and say, I'm going to do things my way. You tried to work in that job with honesty and integrity and have a posture of a servant and do things the way that God's word instructs us to, but you've gotten frustrated and you're saying, now I'm going to do things my way. That is what rebellion looks like in our lives spiritually. Here's what Jesus said for those who exalt themselves, for those who think they know better than God will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, in James, James actually says that God opposes the proud. You know that word opposes literally means that God comes violently against, that God aggressively prevents you. You know what I think sometimes in my own past where I've been prideful, that what I thought was the enemy restricting me was actually God saving me? Because the Bible says that First comes pride, then comes the fall. And God wants to sometimes save you from falling. So he may withhold you in an area of your life because you're thinking too highly of yourself, i.e. you trust in your way above God's way. That sometimes God will hold us back because he loves us in the same way a parent holds a child back from running in the streets. It's out of love and protection. So what's the, so, so to keep, what, what's the application? is to keep being faithful. Let me just say this lovingly, and I've been there. I'm not saying this is easy, but when you don't feel like trusting God, trust him anyway. When you don't feel like continuing to worship God, worship anyway. You don't feel like obeying his word, you do it anyway. Even when you don't feel it, you don't give up. It reminded me the power of not giving up. Uh, I played uh, with my kids, shoots and ladders. I don't know if you ever remember this game or played this game. And uh, it's kind of an agonizing game, to be honest. Because you play it and you're like, all right, I'm about to win. And all of a sudden you hit a shoot and you go all the way down, right? Um, on a side note, the game, I actually thought about it this week. The game actually teach, teaches children to gamble, if you think about it. It's actually, as I thought about it, I'm like, this is actually horrible. I'm preparing my kids for a weekend at Vegas. It's like, you know, roll the dice. Oh, a ladder, you know, run it back, you know. Then you get a shoot and you lose everything. Not that I've ever gambled, but, you know, as I heard stories. Um, but we were playing and my son was, my son hadn't hit any ladders. And myself and, and my daughter Hannah, we had hit some ladders. So we were like, we were way ahead of, ahead of him. He was getting real discouraged. And as a five-year-old, you'd expect that. He was getting upset. He's like, I'm going to lose. And I said, Judah, I was like, 
Like, don't, don't give up, son. Like, you could still win this game. Like, this game, this game's crazy. Like, you could win. Sure enough, I and Hannah hit a shoot. We fly down. He hit the biggest ladder that, like, bumped him up, like, 60 spaces. And your boy won. And I was like, son, see, you just don't give up. Like, and as I thought about this week, I'm like, I can be like that with God sometimes. In the midst of it, I can have a bad attitude. Anybody else? I can get a little frustrated. But man, don't give up. Keep trusting God. Galatians 6, 9, Paul said this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I was reminded of that scripture last year. I was uh, with a group of pastors. And um, this older pastor had been pastoring for 40 years, kind of a really a mentor and pastor to us. And he had shared this scripture with us, and he said, he said that, that God has a responsibility in this, and we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to not grow weary and to keep doing good, to keep being faithful to him. And God's responsibility is to bring the harvest. And that can be hard for us in our Western context, can it? Because we love to control the outcomes, Right? We love to know, if I do this, it'll go up and to the right. Like, I I know what the outcome will be, but the reality is when you're walking according to the purposes of God and following God, we just are not supposed to become weary and then to keep doing good and leave the outcome to him. I think it's not surprising that Galatians, that same scripture, the same chapter, verse 2, Paul also wrote this right before that. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, I had that thought as I was reading that. The reality is this. I think that as followers of Christ, I think as a human, I think a critical component of not giving up is having other people who can pick you up when you're down. I watched a story uh, this week of triathlon athlete, uh, Johnny uh, and, and Alistair, and uh, they were brothers, and uh, they were running, I think their last name was Barry, and they were running in this triathlon, both were triathlon athletes, 2016, the world championships, and Johnny is like in first place, he's about probably 75 yards from the finish line, and all of a sudden while he's running, dehydration hits him. And if you watch the race, Johnny stops running and he starts to kind of like stumble like this and his body starts like shutting down. Like literally one of the fans catch him from falling. And he's just like staying there. Like literally he could like throw a football probably and hit the, or throw a ball and hit the finish line, but he cannot move forward. Like he, he physically could not. So his brother was right behind him in second place. His brother could have ran right past him and got first place. But his brother stops and sees his brother. He puts Johnny's arm around his shoulders. Now, while he's doing this, somebody actually passes them and wins the race. So both of them do not come in first place. But he puts his brother's arm on his shoulder, and he literally hobbles his brother to the finish line. And then, catch this, he lets his brother finish before him. 
And they asked him afterwards, they said to Alistair, why did you do this? And he said, I mean, I would do this for anybody. And he basically said, because it's not about winning. Uh, it's about seeing somebody down and picking them up. And I thought to myself, what a depiction, what a picture of what we need in this walk called life. In this triathlon called life. Because there will come moments, there will come days, there will come seasons, whether it's because you deal with personal tragedy, work stress, relational tension, maybe overwhelmed by life, maybe just what you've walked through the past two years, it just feels heavy. And probably for most of you in this room, I know I'm being presumptuous, but it was the case even last service. Now, I've been there this past two years. Probably over the past two years, have you had a moment where you just felt discouraged? Maybe you felt overwhelmed. Maybe things didn't work out you thought you thought they would. Maybe just everything going on around us. And the reality is, in seasons of discouragement, we need somebody else to encourage us. Can I tell you, I thought we at Catalyst would encourage you to go through our, like, our Next Steps class. Join a group. Get involved. I've said this each week, and I'll say it again. Man, in 2022... Again, I think if it's Catalyst, it's great. Just a local church. We'd love for it to be here at Catalyst. But to go all in, fully plant yourself in a local church. Get around other believers who can encourage you, who can pray for you, who can support you. Can I tell you, I have several friends and, and pastors in my life that have been a lifeline for me over my course of life and following Christ. And you need that in your life. And you need to be that for somebody else to encourage you. So if you're here, how do we finish strong? I think for some of you today, you need to do what we spoke about in the first point. Whatever God's spoken to you, the dream in your heart, you need to write it down. Make it clear and revisit it. There have been seasons that have been so discouraging, I've literally read a, a dream God's given me, a vision God's given me every single day. I go back to it over and over and over and over again. Maybe others of you, you need to have a moment where you cast your cares upon God. You need to have a moment this week where someone after first service even said, I'm going to drive home and have, a, have an ugly cry moment with God. And so you need to have that moment where you just cast your cares. And lastly, maybe you need, you need someone in your life to encourage you when you can't encourage yourself. To pick you up when you fall down because we all need that in our life.